Let us pray. Most gracious God, we give thanks that you have given us this, your word. And we pray that you would open our ears, open our hearts, that we might attend to your word, that we might receive your word as life-giving, molding us, shaping us, encouraging us, changing us further into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our two scriptures for the day come from the lectionary in the Old Testament. It's from Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 through 35. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off. Until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had commanded... The Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, and then chapter 4, verses 16 to 18. The Apostle Paul writing to this church in Corinth. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as through, though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the, the Lord, the Spirit. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every Tuesday afternoon during college, I had an Army ROTC lab from 1 to 4 p.m. ROTC, for those of you who don't know, is a military officer training endeavor. And and lab time often involved going out into the nearby North Carolina woods and completing some sort of mission. It was a way for us to practice the skills we were learning, like land navigation, hand signals, teamwork, So our lead instructor might, for instance, give a dozen of us students the mission of getting critical supplies that are in these large metal barrels over to another group that needs them 100 yards away. We need to do this within a 30-minute time frame. And because there is a a ravine between us and them, we were going to have to make a makeshift bridge of some sort using whatever supplies had been given us there on the ground. One student would be designated the leader, of this mission, the stopwatch would begin, and 
and we'd start moving. Start moving these wood planks that were on the ground in place to, to, to make this bridge. We'd pull the rope that was there on the ground and tie the planks together to make them at least a little steadier. We'd be balancing these huge metal barrels of supposed lots of medical supplies so that they didn't fall or break or anything across this bridge we had just built. And after 30 minutes, a whistle blow and instead of moving directly on to the next mission, the next thing, the next activity, we'd be all be gathered by the instructor for what the military calls an after-action review, AAR. And AAR is a space where the lead instructor really doesn't do a lot of overt teaching, but just asks the group very simple, basic questions. What was your mission? Oh, well, that, fortunately, that's easy. Uh, to get medical supplies, all of us cross a bridge over there within 30 minutes. They need it. And the instructor would say, are you sure that was your mission? The mission was to get the supplies to the other group. There was nothing said about all 12 of you necessarily needing to go or not. Did you endanger extra people because you misheard the mission? Second question, what tools did you have at your disposal? Well, we had, we had the wood planks we, and the rope. Anyone notice the stakes that were also given you? Perhaps could have helped in anchoring the rope a little better in some spots, but no, in our haste, we, we, okay, we'd miss that. Three or four fairly simple, basic questions would be asked, reviewing how things went. And in time, this exercise made it clear to us that, that, that simple questions can do quite a lot to press meaningful reflection and new insight and even prompt growth. The very fact of an AAR makes it clear the military assumes officers are best trained, shaped, changed from one level of ability to the next, not simply by just going, 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 next activity, next mission, uh, the most hands-on activity you can get into the time, but by action followed by reflection. Action and then simple questions that invite us to see blind spots, missed opportunities, things that went well. Space for growth. It is a model for facilitating growth. In our passage from 2 Corinthians this morning, Paul is exploring what it is that truly changes, shapes, grows a church. What is it that actually matures us, transforms us, so that in all that we say and do, we might look more like Jesus, the body of Jesus on earth. And in our passage, Paul speaks of growth as moving from, quote, one degree of glory to another. Glory, from the Hebrew word kabod, and and derived from, from a root that has its basic meaning as heavy, weighty in substance. To be filled with God's glory, God's kabod, is to be filled with substantive qualities of beauty, goodness, justice, love, wisdom. Have you ever met someone with with sort of a weightiness to them? Not in terms of pounds or, or even in terms of severity, because weightiness need not mean dour seriousness. But have you ever known some folks who who are weighty in the sense that they, they just seem to be a people, a person of substance. The way, way they speak, listen, act, 
react or maybe don't react. They have an anchoring, they have a peace, a strength, a conviction, a love that is not mere sentiment. Glory is the word Paul says fills such a person, such a people, a weightiness. And the beautiful thing Paul assumes to be true of the church simply because God is gracious is that all of us, we have within us God's glory, God's weightiness, God's substance. I abide in you, Jesus promises. We have a degree of glory, all of us. And again, the question Paul is pressing is what draws a person, a people, a church from one degree of glory to the next? How is it we actually grow and change? And in our time when it seems all too often people are apt to polarize and harden in certainty and platitudes along political or theological lines, generational or racial lines, or or lines even within the family, it feels a particularly relevant question to ask so What changes people? I mean, what what actually then softens hearts, opens hearts, can, can transform rather than rigify a people? Winifred Gallagher is a behavioral scientist and author of a few books over these past couple decades where she's explored the theme of how people change. And at one point, she summarily writes, who you are, what you think, feel, and do, what you love is the sum of what you focus on. In short, she argues, we become what we behold. She goes on to say that every one of us is is beholding something all of the time. All day long, you are selectively paying attention to something, and much more often than you may suspect. Some of us, it is as mundane as our email inbox. Its contents and conversations hold our attention, shape far more of our worries and imagination than we might like to admit. Some of us, it is the steady stream of cable news. Some of us, it is the diagnosis that we cannot help but behold. That fearfulness of what it is and what it might mean dominates our mindset, our heart sets. And it shapes our way of being. Some of of us, it's money. Some of us, it's the relationship. Some of us, it's this or that anxious issue that dominates our imagination. It races through our actions and concerns. What is it we behold? We become what we behold, Gallagher argues. Paul, of course, named this very paradigm of transformation 2,000 years prior. All of us, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image of the Lord from one degree of glory, one degree of weightiness to another. All of us seeing the glory. Other translations have all of us beholding the glory. All of us contemplating the glory. When we see the glory of the Lord, when we behold it, when we contemplate it, as though reflected right there in a mirror before us, we are transformed. Not of our own will or doing. Paul says it quite clearly at the verse of 18. And this transformation comes from the Lord, the Spirit. That's just the gift of God's faithfulness. And so the argument is is simple enough on one level. As our hearts behold the glory of the Lord, the weightiness, the substantiveness of the Lord, 
We ourselves become more glory-filled people, moving from one degree of glory to the next because the Spirit can't help but be faithful. It sounds simple enough on one level, but the question, I think, quickly comes to our hearts. How do you do it? I mean, very, very practically, how does one behold, most fundamentally not our emails or cable news or our diagnosis or the relationship or the money or the anxieties, but behold the substantive things, the eternal things, the non-fleeting things, the glory of Jesus shaping things. Many of you participated in the House United All Church in church retreat that final weekend in January we had here. If you were not part of that, a quick overview. Dr. Alan Hilton was the one who came in and led us that weekend. He's trying to help congregations around the nation live more faithfully into the oneness and unity that we do have in Jesus Christ. Which means, in significant part, helping congregations learn to better and more honestly communicate with one another, with love and respect around trying and difficult issues. Political issues in particular are his focus as he sees the body of Jesus Christ being torn apart over these red and blue polarizations. Central to his paradigm for transforming congregations is what he calls courageous conversations, where where a congregation is given space to take up a difficult topic and speak about it, consider it. You recall in January how many of us gathered in the fellowship hall down below and and our topic that afternoon after worship was immigration. One person would raise their hand and and would be called upon by by Alan and speak, well, I I think think we're a nation of immigrants. And and those of you who were there, you recall how, how especially initially in the first half of that meeting or so, you could just feel the room and people wanting to respond to what they heard, as if, as if we were all planning our responses even before the person was near finished with whatever they were saying. I think there are a lot of drug dealers and criminals doing real damage, and, and again, you could, you could feel the room. We're all forming our responses, ready to jump in and, and add to the point or, or push hard against that point before the person ever finishes their thought. It could be kind of tense, but then do you recall the way Alan was, went about trying to train us against doing that very thing? Not just react or respond or just shut down altogether. He had a phrase, a liturgy that we repeated aloud and together immediately following each person who spoke, no matter what they said, listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. Listen to what the Holy Spirit, listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. What a great phrase. It wasn't what I mistakenly said a moment ago. Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. As if every single word and every idea out of every person's mouth was the gospel truth and we all to believe it, the Lord has spoken. No, listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Lean in with your heart and listen for any thoughts, ideas, postures, silences, any aspect of what is being communicated here that is from Jesus. Somehow, some way, that is the glory of the Lord 
shining through, however dimly or brightly. And that was hard, wasn't it? To listen with that kind of open trust before every voice in the room. But it was also a sacred space, a good space, because what we were doing was practicing beholding the glory of the Lord in one another, however dimly or brightly. We were trusting that what Paul declares is in fact true. The glory of the Lord, the weightiness of our God, already resides in each of us to some degree or another by grace. And in our own beholding of that glory, were we not ourselves, to some degree, starting to be transformed? What would it look like, not just during courageous conversations, but in the narthex, among our families, in our workplace, if, if, if when others spoke, and particularly around something trying, difficult, complex, nuanced, what if instead of responding with the normal sort of reaction or answering before they've even completed a thought, our heart grew more and more accustomed to saying within, listen for what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And we beheld the glory of the Lord. We behold the glory of the Lord not only through one another, right, but also And looking directly to Jesus and prayer. Another central way we go about our beholding. And look, some of us I know are are more disciplined with our space of prayer. Some of us find that easier than others. And, And some of us, there's just a lot of good bridges to be building right now. It's kind of one good thing to the next, one necessary thing to the next. And so time and space for that kind of beholding communion with the Lord is not frequent. And yet here we are on this particular morning and we are given something of a holy pause in worship that we might slow, that we might contemplate, that we might behold, that we might listen afresh for Jesus. Who, by the way, so often when he taught and shaped people in scripture, it was by way of really simple questions. And so perhaps in time, as we slow ourselves, we hear him start to speak, even this morning, a few of those simple, basic questions familiar to us from Scripture itself. What is it you want? Matthew 20. And our minds perhaps start to race with this. That I want, I want. But we've journeyed maybe long enough with Jesus to know that simple questions are meant to lend themselves to far deeper probing. We want to be a people of substance, of weight, of joyful strength, of things enduring and eternal and good. How did our forebearers summarize it? We want to be a people who glorify God and enjoy God forever. A second question breaks the silence. Do you see anything? Mark 8. I see the sanctuary. I see the... Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. 
And then perhaps another from John chapter 21. Do you love me? Still another breaks into that beholding space. John 6, have I not chosen you? There is so much good and urgent bridge building to be done in this world. But before we mindlessly race from one thing to the next without a break, may the Holy Spirit empower us to slow and behold the glory of the Lord in one another and in the presence of Jesus himself. For it is in contemplating, beholding the glory of the Lord that we are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next because the Holy Spirit cannot help but be faithful. Amen.